Forgiveness will never be deserved by the people who sin against you. Forgiveness will never go to those who earn it the most or who've made it right by coming back and saying, I'm sorry, I screwed up. Not forgiving somebody else is like drinking poison and hoping they get sick. When you and I hold on to the sins done against us, we bear that weight and that responsibility as our own. And Jesus, the reason we celebrate this week and we call it holy is because he invites us to surrender not only all of our sin to him, but all of the sins done against us. That when we are wronged and when we are victims, when we suffer at someone else's hand, we can look to him and say, you know all of this, what it's like to suffer because of someone else's sin, and yet you forgive. Teach me to forgive as well. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. For those of you joining us on live stream, good morning. I'm actually quite surprised at how many of you are here today in person, because usually the marathon shuts down all the streets and nobody knows how to get here. So well done for getting here through all the traffic of police deterring you another direction. Anybody get lost at least once? Only a few of you. Well, well done. I'm impressed. Okay. Well, we are today finishing this series on grief, at least mostly finishing it. We're going to finish the grief part of it, and next week we'll get into some of the joy side of it. We have, as I said, been learning how to grieve prolonged sickness and terminal illness and learning how to grieve sudden death and learning how to grieve when our sin is the result or the reason for our pain. But how do we grieve when it's not our fault? How do we grieve when somebody else is to blame, their actions have hurt us? How do we grieve when others are less than perfect? Sometimes this happens in the world around us. Total strangers who treat us like dirt. Total strangers who desire to be rude or are filled with anger and want you to know that you're the source of all their pain even though they've never met you before. But usually, when other people we don't know, when they hurt us, we can get mad and then we can move on. I don't typically linger for more than about 24 hours when somebody cusses me out for cutting them off in traffic. Now, I might linger when they cut me off in traffic, but that's my issue, not theirs. Generally, when people sin against me that I don't know, I'm able to go, that's, that's a bummer and I don't like it, but you know what? It'll be okay. Where it gets really tricky is when people I love dearly sin against me. When people who should be the ones in my corner, the ones that support me and encourage me and care about me the most, when they speak words that just dig deep underneath my soul. 
when they act in such a way that is less than kind, when they treat me like I'm less than they are or less than their time is worth, that sin really digs deep. But what's even worse is when I am hurting and I am struggling and I am in pain and the church, the people of God, other Christians sin against me. Maybe you've experienced that pain where the church has not been a place of hope and healing but hurt and sorrow, where the people of God have actually turned against you and accused you of things or attacked you in ways that were unjust and unfair and claimed all sorts of things, done all sorts of things, and now you're stuck with, if I can't even turn to the church, where can I go? Today, As we dive into scripture, we're going to read a story you're probably well familiar with. A story that looks like it's filled with joy and hope, but underneath the surface there's a lot of pain and sorrow because the very people of God have turned against the very man of God. If you'd like to follow along, we will be in Luke chapter 19. In the blue Bibles in front of you or upstairs along the wall, in the blue Bibles, it's page 1097. If you'd like to use your phone to find it out, you're more than welcome to. Luke chapter 19. And we're going to begin Luke chapter 19 in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and to Bethany... At the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away or sent, went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Before we continue in this text, we're just going to pause right there. Maybe you've heard this story before. Jesus entering into Jerusalem, what is now known as Palm Sunday, where they all shouted and they celebrated Jesus as king. They praised him for who he was and what he would do for them. In some of the gospel accounts of this same story, they're not just laying their cloaks on the road, they're laying palm branches on the road. 
an act of praise for a king who was worthy of honor. Praise for a king who deserved clean streets that were not filthy and covered in poo. Praise for a king who was coming to rescue in power and might. Imagine being one of Jesus' disciples and watching as this all unfolds. Seeing the crowd shout, feeling validated, all of my hard work is finally coming to pass. I was there first when nobody else believed, and now they all see all that he is and all that he's done. Imagine being one of the disciples celebrating, look at our king, he's great and he's mighty, he's so wonderful. How might Jesus feel? See, this is a moment that we as a church continue to celebrate thousands of years later because it is a moment revealing all of who Jesus is and also all of who we are. It's a day, a moment where we see the king coming in humility and with peace, not riding a horse as one who's conquered, but a donkey as one who says there is no more war and violence, but peace. Everybody's celebrating and praising And yet, as we're about to see, Jesus weeps. He's not filled with joy in this great moment as you and I perhaps would be. This is what happens in verse 41. And when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. In what should be this triumphal celebration, this moment of praise, this great joy for all the people, instead for Jesus, it is a time of great pain. Because the very people of God who are crying out, Hosanna, blessed is the King, praise to you, are the very people who within that same week will cry out, crucify him. The very people who within that same week will hear all the things he said and done and rather than be blessed by those words, be offended and say, that's not the king we were hoping for. It's not the God we were looking for. We want someone else instead. Jesus, knowing the hearts of the people, sees just how far they are from the truth. Their praise and their celebration is misguided. Because they're looking for a king who comes in power and might. But what they get instead is a king who comes in all humility. In fact, as the week unfolds, we see more and more the people are set against Jesus. And in fact, we're going to skip ahead to verse 47. It says this, And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Jesus enters into the city knowing full well that it was the desire of everybody there on some level to destroy him. 
as the week unfolds, we see all kinds of pain come against Jesus. His closest disciples, his dearest friends betray him, deny him, run away from him. They don't get it when he needs just a moment to pray. They all fall asleep. As the week unfolds, we see they still, after three years, are far from the truth, believing in a God made in their image as opposed to a God for who he really was. We see this Thursday of this same week that we're about to celebrate, the night before Jesus is betrayed, he's there in the garden and he prays. And he says, God, if there's any other way, take this from me. But not my will, yours be done. And it says there in Scripture, this really interesting line, angels come and strengthen him. And then being in so much agony, he begins to sweat blood. Right? Angels come to comfort him and strengthen him, and it doesn't make his pain go away. In fact, it actually amplifies the very pain this king feels, that he begins to sweat blood. Jesus has entered in in what should be a moment of celebration, but he knows why he's there. It is the sin of all the people, specifically even the people of God who will reject him and turn from him. He is there not to be praised in glory, but to be poured out in humility. Not to be exalted on high as the king who deserves to be praised, but instead to be cursed for all of our sin. See, I've experienced pain at the hands of other sinners. I've experienced hurt when people have come against me. But ultimately, all of my experience of sin has been tainted by my own proclivity to sin. I was talking with a friend earlier this week about various differences in theology between different church denominations. And, and one thing we started talking about was the nature of sin. And I said, there are some people who believe that with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit, you and I can become better people and eventually go moments in our lives without sinning. The holier we get, the less we sin. And maybe for a few minutes or a few hours or a few days, we are sinless in that time. And I said, this is completely opposite of what I believe to be true. And my friend kind of looked at me funny. And he said, why is that? I said, because I think no matter how hard we try, all we ever do is sin. And he looked at me and he goes, that's really depressing, Adam. I said, it could be. And then we got in this great conversation about it. And I'll tell you more how that conversation ended here in a moment, but I just want you to think about that reality. You and I are sinful, and our sin hurts others. We know this to be true when we speak in a harsh word in anger, and later we wish we could take that back. In fact, there are few things you ever say in anger that result in a positive outcome, ever. We know that our sin hurts others when our addictions and our habits continue to tear apart our relationships. When we spend to get love and then find ourselves struggling to pay our rent, we know that our sin hurts not just ourselves, but the people who love us. Jesus enters into this time of celebration, but he weeps. He looks at Jerusalem and says, if only you knew what was in front of you. 
If only you knew what was happening right now, then you could truly rejoice. But instead, they're blinded. They've turned a blind eye. They see what they want to see and not what is true. We know that as Jesus bore the weight of all of our sin later in that week, it hurt. And if you and I have ever felt far from God like God has abandoned us, you know how much that hurts. But have you ever been truly abandoned by God? Because that's what's coming for Jesus this very week. God will turn his back away from his son so that we might be spared that we might be forgiven and made new. I skipped a verse I'm going to come back to. And maybe you noticed and you're wondering why I skipped it. Verse 45. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. In other accounts of the same story, when Jesus enters in, he flips over the tables. In one account, he sits down and he makes a whip and begins to use that whip to whip towards the animals and cast them out from the very place. And I just think of Jesus coming in as all the people are praising him and sitting down, beginning to braid a whip. Like, hey, Jesus, what are you doing? Making a whip. What are you doing that for? Well, what are whips for? I'm not really sure where you're going with this, Jesus, but okay. And then he flips over all the tables and he starts driving out all the animals. And you're like, whoa, this is not the Jesus I thought I was following. This guy's kind of crazy. You've played Monopoly with somebody like that, right? The game's not going well. They flip the table and now everybody loses. In the middle of this moment of celebration, as Jesus weeps, he begins to flip tables and be filled with all kinds of anger. Now, perhaps it wasn't anger. Perhaps it was sorrow. Perhaps he's flipping tables saying, you know what? This isn't the way it's supposed to be. There's so much more in store for you that you miss. Perhaps because he was teaching in the temple, what he was doing was just clearing space to make room for him to teach. Whatever his reasoning, Jesus comes in to Jerusalem in celebration, but instead he weeps. And then he turns in anger to make his temple a place of prayer, a place where all people, it says all nations, shall come in, a place where everybody of every background, of every ethnicity, of every past and every future can come and gather and be united to God. See, the temple was the place where God's presence was made known, the place where forgiveness was given, and Jesus comes in and sees that those who are far from God, the Gentiles, are excluded from praise because instead there's commerce going on. Legitimate trade needed to help them make the sacrifices, but trade that nonetheless distracts from what really matters, a God who forgives. See, when others sin against us, it's really, really tempting in our grief to focus all of our energy on the sins done against us. But do you know what that creates? Bitterness and malice and hatred. When others wrong you and you focus on the way in which they've wronged you, you will never find yourself more fulfilled and more at peace by just thinking about how bad that person is. 
At best, you will find yourself more distant from that person, more angry with them, more removed because they will hurt me again. And the more we focus on the sins of others, the harder it begins for us, or the harder it becomes for us to forgive. Jesus, he comes in and he weeps. If only you knew what was about to happen for you. If only you knew these good things I'm doing, then your praise would be rightly centered, not because I'm coming in might and power, but in humility to save all from all their sins, that you may be forgiven. In fact, he comes in and he cleanses the house, the temple. He makes it a place where all people can come and pray and be forgiven. When others sin against you, as you deal with the pain and the hurt of the things they've said and the things they've done and the things they've left undone, as you deal with all of that, how do you grieve remembering Jesus? Well, remember His death was for their sin just as much as it was yours. If you desire the forgiveness He offers, He tells us that we're to forgive in the same manner. Forgive others. I was talking with my friend and I said, well, I just think fundamentally we're all sinful all the time. And he said, that's really depressing. I said, it can be. And our conversation continued. I said, if there is no hope for our sin, it's incredibly depressing. And all we feel is a victimization. Woe is me. The world's against me. Everybody's against me. This place sucks and I can't wait to leave. I said, or believing that we all are just full of sin all the time, we're actually invited into a new way of thinking about others. Rather than expecting perfection from them, we actually should expect to get hurt by them. And I don't mean we go around being like, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Things can't go well. We go around not surprised when people sin because that's what they do. And when we're not surprised by people's sin, we're able to focus on the forgiveness offered to them. Because I expect you to sin, I can expect myself to forgive. Not because it doesn't hurt, not because it's no longer a problem, not because you should keep doing the thing you did wrong, but I can expect you're going to let me down. So let me just surrender all of that when it happens to God. Let me trust in the one who has forgiven because he will not let me down when you do. And as my friend and I were talking about this, I said, if everybody sins all the time, then we're all the more freed to forgive every time. I said, well, I guess in that perspective, it's not so disappointing, but it's really, really hard. So you're right. Forgiveness will never be deserved by the people who sin against you. Forgiveness will never go to those who earn it the most or who've made it right by coming back and saying, I'm sorry, I screwed up. Not forgiving somebody else is like drinking poison and hoping they get sick. When you and I hold on to the sins done against us, we bear that weight and that responsibility as our own. And Jesus, the reason we celebrate this week and we call it holy, is because he invites us to surrender not only all of our sin to him, but all of the sins done against us. 
that when we are wronged and when we are victims, when we suffer at someone else's hand, we can look to him and say, you know all of this, what it's like to suffer because of someone else's sin, and yet you forgive. Teach me to forgive as well. So how do we go about grieving other people's sin? I think first we have to be honest with ourselves about our emotions. Start there. When somebody has wronged you, don't act like everything is okay because it's not okay. In my household, we don't allow my kids, when they ask for forgiveness, to say, it's okay, don't worry about it. If it was okay, they would not have needed to ask for forgiveness in the first place. So in our household, one of the things we do is we admit the hurt that was caused. They really hurt me when you did this. And when we forgive, we tell them, I forgive you, not it's okay or don't worry about it. We offer that forgiveness we're hoping to find as well. What can you do when sin comes and hurts you? Acknowledge the pain. If you need to weep, weep. If you're filled with anger, be filled with anger. Just try not to turn over too many tables because you and I won't do it very righteously. If you're unsure where to go and you're lost and confused, admit that. Be honest with the hurt other people cause. So we can be honest with our emotions. We can choose to forgive, not for their sake, but for our own. And sometimes we think forgiveness is like a one-time thing. Well, I forgave them in the past and it still hurts now, so now what? I think forgiveness is a lot like oxygen. If you ever stop doing it, eventually you're going to have a hard time living. You keep forgiving over and over and over again so that one day those wounds that were festering or that were growing may be fully healed. You keep forgiving not for their sake but for your own sake. God, help me to surrender this sin to you and trust you will make it right one day. Be honest with your emotions. Forgive as you've been forgiven. And finally, when other people have sinned against us, what do you do? I think it's okay to set healthy boundaries. To say these things are not okay. And I will not continue to allow you to hurt me in this way. Sometimes in the church we think boundaries imply a lack of forgiveness, but I would actually say boundaries create a space for forgiveness to take root. To say, when you speak so poorly of me, that hurts. If you're going to speak this way, I'm going to not listen. When you treat me with this disrespect, it hurts. And I'm not going to continue to be walked all over. That's not okay. You can set boundaries around how people can treat you because God himself has set boundaries around what is good and what is bad. In fact, we look at these laws, these rules, these things he tells us and sometimes we're like, well, that's just the Old Testament and now we can do whatever we please. But that's not true. He's given us his whole word as a guide to show us what life with him could be like. And if you read it carefully, you'll see we never ever measure up but that doesn't mean we don't recognize there are better ways to live than the way we have been living better ways to do the things we're doing than the things we've already done and so we can set boundaries around ourselves and around other people and say this is not okay and I won't stand for it we recognize our emotion 
We forgive as we've been forgiven, and then in turn we set boundaries to guard against that sin in the future. And when we do this, I believe it will not diminish the pain of sin. But what it will do is diminish the lasting effect of sin in your heart, in your mind, and in your soul. That whatever may come against you, even whomever may come against you, you can say at the end of the day, it is well with my soul. For I know what God has done, I know what He's doing, and I trust in the promises of what He still will do in the future. It is okay, and it is well. Will you pray with me? Jesus, You had a moment of joy for everyone around You, but You were filled with grief. You saw in their praises just how misguided they were, not because you are not the king they claimed you to be, but because you came to suffer and die for our sins. To lay your life down, to wash the feet of your disciples, to serve with everything in you. God, when others sin against us, when their words sting long after they've been spoken, God, we ask You would teach us to forgive. To lay all of the sin done against us at Your feet and trust that You will one day make it all right. May we trust that this pain, be it great right now, is temporary. And You have restored all things through Your death and Your resurrection. So Lord, we confess to You today our sinfulness, and the sins done against us. Teach us to forgive as you have forgiven, that we may walk with you all of our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we continue our worship today, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. Uh, we believe in this place that an offering is an opportunity to partner with God in the things that He's doing, an act of trust in His faithfulness and His provision. And so if you came prepared to give today and you'd prefer to do so with cash or check, you can place your envelope uh, in the, bo the boxes on the back wall as you exit. If you filled out one of those connect cards the way we can connect with you or be praying with you, uh, you can place that in there as well. And if you're somebody who prefers to give electronically and you came prepared to do so today, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. Uh, however you give and whatever you give, know this. We give not to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Well, every week we invite your questions, and I do my best to respond. Uh, Blake hasn't had a chance to read them yet, but I think there's maybe four or five. I'll do my best to respond to. Yep. So the first one says, uh, I forgot we were talking about grief. My cat crossed the Rainbow Bridge early Thursday, and it's still a grieving process. And I'm helping my other cat through his grieving process. Yes, cats can grieve also. Yeah, animals can certainly uh, express and feel emotion, and we can and do most certainly grieve when we lose an animal that's dear to us, and that's okay. Yeah. Next one says, how much does forgiving yourself for your sins play a part in being better at forgiving others for their sins? I think you can't give something you don't have. And so if you're unable to forgive yourself, you have very little forgiveness to give to others. 
Um, so I would say that when Jesus says, forgive as you've been forgiven, you have to learn to forgive yourself. To beat yourself up indefinitely is not the grace and the kindness and the mercy of God, but is actually, a, I think, a scheme of the enemy to tell us we are not enough with Christ, though we are. So if you're struggling to forgive yourself, let's talk about it. Um, sometimes what we need is somebody else to forgive you. As I mentioned last week with private confession, absolution, sometimes you need to hear it over and over and over again for it to begin to penetrate the thing you're, or the walls that have been built up around your heart and that are keeping you from it. So I agree. Um, that, that part definitely helps me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our next question says, what determines the frequency of when we take communion? Currently, we take communion on the first and the third Sunday of the month. And uh, we could, and I would love to take it every single week. Um, Martin Luther, uh, he wrote in the 1500s, when you're trying to figure out how often you should come to communion, you should desire to come to it often, he writes. He says, at least four times a year. (laughs) So anything more than that, you're covered, right? Um, But back in that day, they actually were afraid to come to communion because they were afraid that if if they came to communion and they didn't confess all of their sins perfectly, they would not be forgiven of any of their sins. And because we actually believe that it is a gift of God's grace for our forgiveness, we should come over and over and over again with great joy because he forgives us. So the last question, uh, do you think we should ever apologize for our feelings? If someone doesn't like or agree with the way we feel about something, should we seek forgiveness for that? No. What you do with your feelings, perhaps. You are free to feel whatever you feel. In fact, be honest. And maybe your feelings don't make any sense. That happens a lot too. Um, Feel your feelings, but if you treat people in a wrong way because of those feelings, you should seek forgiveness for the way you treat them. So don't apologize for feeling the thing you're feeling, but maybe apologize for the way you act as a result. All right? I think that's all we have today. Excellent. As always, you can text in a question anytime during the week. That number is online. I'll do my best to respond midweek if I see it before then. Otherwise, I'll respond next Sunday um, to those questions I missed during the week. Before you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.